And welcome to Detention, where Nazis were not just in Germany. That's a little problematic. Oh, yeah. It's a preview for a story that we'll get into later on today. All right. So do you want to start us off then? Getting into the dad jokes? Nothing like a good old laugh. All right. How do you get a country girl's attention? How do you get a country girl's attention? Yes. Uh, Family reunion. (laughs) That's good. I like that. (laughs) A tractor. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. (laughs) When I first read that, I was looking at him like, how does a tractor get a girl's attention? It's just a tractor. I'm like, oh, there it is. It it took me a second. So I was like, this is perfect. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good one. Speaking of farmers and country people, might as well just jump right on into... Uh, sports and wanted to hit Iowa sports first. Yeah. Okay. We'll start with that. So for Iowa sports, um, we're kind of doing some continuous updates as new recruits kind of give their commitments to whatever schools across the country, uh, specifically for Iowa sports. So there was another three star, um, pick for the 2023 recruiting class. Uh, he is a cornerback. His name is Talil Tate. He is a 6'2", 185-pound, three-star cornerback from Chicago, Illinois. Uh, He is Iowa's 17th commitment of the 2023 class. Um, The Hawkeyes now have three defensive backs pledged in that class. And now Iowa is ranked 20th overall in 24-7 sports composite team rankings. That's awesome. Yeah. um, Most seasons are north of 30 into the 40s, I think, most generally. Um, Obviously, it's still pretty early for other uh, recruits to actually give their commitments, depending on how sought after they are. But that's pretty nice to have. I don't know, out of the Big Ten schools, what number they are based within their own conference. I'm sure they're probably still, like, sixth with like Wisconsin, Michigan State, Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan being above them, stuff like that. I actually think Minnesota and Maryland are above them. Maryland for the last couple of years has had some really good recruiting classes for whatever reason, and they still suck. <laughs> so They don't develop their players. True. They really don't. And I don't know if that's Mike Loxley's problem or if that's just the environment in the locker room. I don't know. Um, from... The composite that uh, 24-7 Sports has given him, they say he is a versatile athlete. Uh, He could play receiver, cornerback, or safety uh, at Kenwood Academy in Chicago. He did finish with 451 yards and 10 touchdowns last season on offense. And then on defense, he had 63 tackles, five interceptions, and two fumble recoveries. Um, His skill set translates to what Iowa likes from its defensive backs, especially at safety or the cash position. So kind of like a Belton type of mm-hmm. uh, cornerback. Uh, Tate, apparently, from what they've said, has big-time hitting ability and good coverage skills. Uh, he had other offers from Wisconsin, Purdue, Arkansas, and Ball State. So it's always nice to take them away from Big Ten competition. Absolutely. Um, until we give them away. Until they decide to go to Purdue anyway. You're right. <laughs> So that's the latest on him. Um, We do have some information uh, kind of about the transfer portal in general for Iowa, right? Yeah. So I I ran across this article. I was talking about uh, 
the Big Ten and especially Iowa and how they handled the transfer portal and uh, me being an Iowa fan and hating the transfer portal, I'm like, yeah, let's look at this. Why not? <laughs> um, so in the article, they were talking about how Iowa was actually the least active transfer portal in the Big Ten, landing only one transfer in that one transfer made up 0.97% of all the transfers in the Big Ten. Um, if Doing quick math off the top of my head, I think that's like 101, 102-ish transfers into the Big Ten. Yeah. Um, and like we've talked about, Iowa builds their players to be something great rather than pulling the best players and have them not really improve, which is something that I've noticed with a lot of schools is that you can get a five-star athlete, but what are you going to do with them? True. Yeah. Um, and uh, their D-line coach actually made a good point that rather than checking the portal first, most of those coaches actually look into the other position rooms because not only are athletes able to play multiple positions, but the people in the program understand the culture. So they're going to look in another position room first because they probably have that person. I mean, and a great example of that is Tyler Linderbaum. Easily. He started off on the defensive line mm-hmm. and then he ended up being one of, actually not one of, the best center in the nation Absolutely. the past year and the best center in Iowa's history. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, that holds true. I mean, they, they switch positions all the time. It's just how it is because they get the right people that they want into their culture, and then they build them no matter what position it's going to be. Marvin McNutt came in as a quarterback for yep. Iowa and got transferred to wide receiver, and he's – I mean, he doesn't have the stats of, like, Kulianos, but he is the best Iowa wide receiver, I think, in my in my opinion. Definitely again, ran the best routes. For sure. And, again, obviously we're a little bit biased because we are born and raised in the Ferenc era. Yeah. For the most part. I mean, he started in the late 90s, but we were born in the mid. We don't remember the Fry era, especially the tail end of it. No. But from everything that I've seen, and I've, again, limited experience with, like, wide receivers during the Fry era, they also didn't throw that as much as they do now. No. Conventionally, the sport was different back then. It was oh. more of handoff and run. Mm-hmm. So, Which the Big Ten still is Still very is heavy very heavy on that. You're right. But, yeah, I would say... You probably already have the guy on campus, find him, and then mold him. Exactly. And I think that's what they do very, very well. Another thing that the article was talking about is another reason why they don't pull from the portal is because, especially this year, they have so many upperclassmen that they're already set in their positions. And I will say, we that is a good and bad thing. We've talked about that just personally before about how – even if you have someone younger who's more talented, Ferens will still play those upperclassmen. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's a struggle for me, but I do get it. The example that comes to mind for me is Greg Maven. Yeah. He got burned a lot on his routes yeah. trying, to, trying, trying to cover. One for me is Spencer Petrus. Yeah. True. God, I'm not going to go there. Um but since the portal was introduced four years ago in 2018, Iowa has actually won 73% of its games and had two seasons of at least 10 wins. Yeah. Uh, so it's not like they're really needing to utilize it all that much. And then of all the transfers that enter the portal, just in general, 42% of them don't find a new place, return to their school, or they will lose a scholarship. An example of an Iowa player leaving is Deuce Hogan. He landed in a new school, which is great, but... He lost his scholarship and is now a walk-on. So Yeah, I heard that. The, my question is, is the reward worth the risk or worth that price? I'm sure to some it is. Yeah. Um, I know the only player that Iowa did pick up in the transfer portal this offseason was a tight end. Yep, from FSL Lafayette, FCS Lafayette, something, something like that. Something like that. It's a division lower. 
Um, and they ended up losing, I think, six or seven to the transfer portal themselves. So compared to the Big Ten with how many people come and go, they are still one of the better schools in the Big Ten of just keeping players and not having to, again, look outside to grab anyone. So it doesn't surprise me that they don't try to look because they don't need to. Not enough people leave for them to have to have to fill those spots. Michigan State and some of the other big schools tend to. I know Michigan State, especially um, with their head coach right now, they live off of that for the first couple of seasons with Mel Tucker. Is, yeah. I don't necessarily know what the background of these guys are that I have on my roster. I do need to pull in some guys from other schools. And they worked well. The running back that they had from, oh, fuck, ACC. Wake Forest. He was from Wake Forest initially. I don't remember his name. Walker. I think it was oh, his last name. Oh, Kenneth Walker? Yeah. He was from Wake Forest initially, and he came to Michigan State, and obviously the one year he was there, he destroyed. Yeah. But imagine how well he would have been at Wake Forest. They also did really good, too. Yeah. So. You got anything else on the transfer portal? Um, transfer portal, no. That does remind me is that I did go through that 73% win percentage that they've had in the last four uh, years. Four years. I did something with the Big Ten overall and then ranked them oh, in the, like, the last 10 years, seven years, and five years. And some of the stuff that I found was a little interesting compared to the rest of the Big Ten. So I think I'm going to preview that for maybe next week. We can talk about that stuff. Okay. Well, since we're already still talking about Iowa football, I ran across this article, which made me so happy. And we we use a phrase in Iowa a lot called Iowa nice. Yeah. And this is definitely the, you know. Epitome. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. I got words. Yeah. I appreciate that because sometimes I don't. Um, Zach Tweet, who is a linebacker for the Iowa football program, was coming back to Iowa City to go to football practice the next day when he saw a lady named Tina Gunn parked on the side of the road on a highway. Uh, she had a flat tire and was having trouble changing it because she had a couple kids in the car. So he stopped off to help her and get her tire changed, and he did it in about 10 minutes. Um, Gunn said that about Tweet was, and I quote, just those small acts of kindness like that's what we need. I think the world needs to see that. The guy wasn't threatened by somebody like me or my my kids that were in the car. He just wanted to help uh, he just wanted to help us out of the goodness of his heart. And his response uh when he was talking about uh doing this was that we should all be willing to help people and was quoted saying in my opinion it doesn't matter who you are, what your status is in society, no one is too good to help somebody else out. So I feel like we will we'll be – hold on, I need to read this. Okay. So I will feel that we will be one step closer to making the world a better place. I mean, that we, – we just got done talking about the culture at Iowa. I mean, there, there was a little bit of a stain on it a couple of years ago with the strength and conditioning coach, but this is what the Iowa program is. Be selfless, help your teammates, help other people do the right thing. Yes, play 100%. hard. I saw that story too, and she initially was going to, I don't know if you had already mentioned this, she was going to call like her insurance or AAA to see if she can come and have someone fix her tire, and then before she knows it, he showed up. So it's like she was either like, well, I'm going to have to call AAA. Oh, they're going to probably take too long because I don't know where the nearest dealership is or whatever. Oh, well, I'm going to have to call my insurance because technically it's a claim that I'll have to file for them. And he just shows up and did it because her and her son didn't know how to do it. 
So not only one is he helping, but hopefully the son was paying attention a little bit too of like, oh yeah, now I can help change mom's tire if she needs. I mean, it's not super hard, but if you've never done it before, it is so daunting. And it's on the side of a highway. So exactly. That's never going to help. And that's one, the thing. One is of like the I've, busiest highways in Iowa. Yeah. And I've never had to change a tire on a side of a highway yet. Knock on wood. But like... I'm sure that just makes everything a hell of a lot worse. So. Yeah. Well, in the article, it was actually – he was quoted saying that he was really nervous to get out of the car because of it being on the highway. Yeah. Which, I mean, yes, is daunting. That that stretch of road is 70 miles per hour on speed limit. More people than not are going 80 to 85. Yes. So, yeah, that would be a little bit daunting to me. Um, all right. And then finally, for at least Iowa sports in general, uh, Keegan Murray wins the Summer League MVP award. And I was watching some of those games, man. He was good. Yeah. Flat out good. He had, I think, one bad game the whole time that I had saw throughout the Summer League. Quote, unquote, bad. Like, Quote, unquote, bad. It wasn't bad in the sense that his shooting percentage was bad. He still had a decent amount of points. He wasn't the lead scorer on uh, his team. But he still, I mean, he just wasn't shooting well. But he still made up for points. Yeah, his his presence was still known in the game. Y- yes, yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Uh, we're going to move on to football in the Big 12 and Pac-12 merger. I'll let Eric take this one. So it's still obviously rolling out. They haven't done anything official yet. And they have until, I want to say, um, 30 days after the initial report came out of whether or not they were going to do a merger. So according to the Dallas Morning News, rumors that the Big 12 and Pac-12 are actually going to be merging, just depending on what they're agreeing upon for the merger. Uh, CBS uh, Sports originally reported that brokers from the Big 12 were in deep discussions with only six Pac-12 schools, Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Utah, and Oregon, and Washington about joining the Big 12. Uh, The rumors also mentioned that Oregon and Washington would be next off the board, depending if the Big 12 picked them up first. So initially, it was just going to be Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and Utah, not knowing if the Big 12 was going to take Oregon and Washington. Well, after the Big 10 made the announcement of, like, well, we're good for right now because they're waiting on if Notre Dame's going to be joining or not after their contract with NBC is up in a couple years. Now the Big 12 is starting to include Oregon and Washington in those conversations. Um, It appears that the Big 10 has paused any expansion, uh, leaving the biggest Pac-12 members looking for either remaining members of the remnants of what used to be the West Coastal League. So maybe they won't join the Big 12, but they'll make their own league still, just a little bit smaller. Or they may find something better with the Big 12. So what they have right now, as I saw this on uh, social media, of like a very rough mock super conference of the Big 12 and Pac-12 joining, but then having specific pods with teams included in it so that way you play everyone in your pod every year, um, and then you would have to then play a couple teams on a rotation in the other pods. Um, so they have the Pacific pod of California, Oregon, Oregon state, Stanford, Washington, and Washington state. They have the mountain pod of Arizona, Arizona state, BYU, Colorado, San Diego state, and Utah. Uh, then they have the central pod of Baylor, Houston, Oklahoma state, SMU, TCU, and Texas tech. 
And then the Eastern pod of Cincinnati, Iowa State, Kansas, Kansas State, West Virginia, and UCF. So what's interesting about that is that they're not only saying that they're going to have a Big 12, Pac-12 merger, but then they're also saying or hinting at wanting to add an additional team of San Diego State in from the Mountain West, which is something I have not heard before. Um, I don't know why you would choose San Diego State and leave out Boise State. I think Boise State's pretty much basketball. Oh, yeah, I guess that's true. If you're all-encompassing for sports, Boise State ain't doing shit for basketball. And San Diego State has had a lot of really good seasons. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. I didn't think about it from that angle. Um, this is why it's better that I know more about basketball and you know more about football. Uh, probably. We even each other out. I mean, I just looked at that. I'm like, that would be interesting. I know the big, not the Big Ten specifically, but um, a podcast that I listened to, the Bigger Ten podcast, a few weeks ago made an episode talking about, well, since the Big Ten is expanding, um, depending on if Notre Dame enters the conference or not, how would they make divisions? similar setup of having at least four different groupings of teams and then you play everyone within your own pod but then also playing two teams from the other pods on a, every other rotation so that way you would have big matchups pretty much every year regardless of which pod you're in um and i see that someone else is kind of thinking the same thing for the pac 12 and big 12 merger so i'm, I'm really starting to think that this is going to be a a thing I uh, I ran across this since we're talking about super conferences. It was just a really quick quote, and I can't even remember who said it, but I wanted to get your quick thoughts on it. Yeah. Is that somebody said, the I think it was the SEC commissioner or the NCAA commissioner, one of the two, but they said the SEC super conference hall of Texas and Oklahoma is better than the Big Tens of UCLA and USC. And I don't know if I agree with that because mm. I think they right now have better football programs, but then you're going to bring that in and compare it to the SEC. They're both going to get fucked. Then you look at USC and UCLA coming in. UCLA doesn't have the greatest football team, but USC is known traditionally to have a great football team. So that's that's going to be nice. But then you flip that switch and look at basketball too because those are the two main ones that most everyone's looking at. UCLA, great basketball program. Has the most uh, NCAA championships of any school. Exactly. Yeah. So they have that history. They're, like, a blue, they're a blue blood. By like three or four mm-hmm. championships. USC has an all right team. But you, you look at the Mobleys who played for them the last two years. Really great uh, NBA prospects. That's probably going to help them out. And the Big Ten is the premier basketball league in the country. So you're pulling in a blue blood and a team in USC that's actually pretty good. You switch that over to the SEC and you're looking at Oklahoma and Texas is that, yeah, they have a couple people here and there and they're all right most of the time, but their their basketball teams aren't traditionally top notch. Yeah. So who actually wins in that situation? I don't believe it's the SEC, mainly because I don't like the SEC and I am a Big Ten advocate. But just looking at that, those two sports alone, sure, they they get better Football-wise, but overall, I think the Big Ten gets that better. I would agree with that. I don't think that the SEC bringing in Oklahoma and Texas, though at the time it was enormous news, uh, would be better than the Big Ten now bringing in USC and UCLA. 
Um, it's not like the SEC doesn't already have uh, grounds into Texas having Texas A&M join the conference, I don't know, six, seven, eight years ago now, however many years it was. Um, so adding Texas doesn't really necessarily give you a much more important recruiting hold on a certain geographic region in the United States um, or Oklahoma for that matter either. Um, the media markets, though Texas and Texas A&M are rivals, they do have a big media market there in Texas. The Big Ten adding California. Huge. Huge. Um, not only just for recruiting, but for media markets. So I don't know. It's, I would say this is probably much, it probably dwarfs what the SEC did almost a year ago with bringing in Texas, Oklahoma. It's probably going to be like that. Um, will they perform as well? I don't know. We thought Nebraska was going to perform well when they entered the big 10. They did for their first season when they made it to the big 10 championship game and they haven't done shit since. Some of that's because they got rid of Bo Pelini, though he was an ass, and he is still an ass. Um, the guy could coach. Well, you look at what the Big Ten did, and they had a huge swing and a miss on Rutgers and Maryland. Rutgers is dog shit for everything, and Maryland's okay in basketball. Again, those were for, I think, more of geographic than yeah. and uh, recruiting more so than anything. I don't, and I mean, it also helps Rutgers is the grandfather of college football. That doesn't mean anything. So having that pedigree in your conference, just more money. I, mean, I think that's all it really it, does. It had, maybe it adds pedigree to your conference, but it's not like it's doing Rutgers much justice. Well, no, it, again, it's not about a hundred, it's not a hundred percent about the fact that they're good at sports. It's also that they're, they're AAU members. So the fact that they do have that academic um, criteria that a lot of SEC schools don't have is a big thing. Yeah. So they get a lot of money for research and funding and all that. Um, it's, yeah, it goes in a bunch of different ways. The SEC, we've talked about before, only really cares about sports. Not so much about academics. And it's really only about the big sports. And they literally throw all their money into the big sports because that's all they can do. The Big 12, the ACC, the Pac-12, someone of the Big 12 kind of diversify their money into different areas because, I mean, you're not just going to, I don't know, forget about research and development for med schools and stuff like that. I mean, what's the SEC's biggest med school? Vanderbilt? <laughs> what other med school do they have? Yeah. None. So, all right. Finishing up sports there and then moving into uh, our politics, news, and social events. Um, this is something that I had found interesting um, that uh, occurred, I think, late last week. I think just before the weekend. Um, the Secret Service is uh, having itself subpoenaed by the January 6th committee on the grounds of some messages, text messages that have apparently gone missing or were deleted. So the Secret Service uh, was subpoenaed late last week for the ongoing probe into the U.S. Capitol uh, insurrection on January 6th. Uh, the investigation is asking that the federal agency turn over uh, the deleted text messages from the days surrounding the attack as well as any relevant action uh, reports. They have until... I guess we're recording this on Monday, so tomorrow, Tuesday, um, 
July 19th to produce uh, agents' phone records that some believe may shed light on President Donald Trump's actions during the riot. Um, I don't know if we've talked about this since your breakdown of the first six days of the hearings. I know a couple weeks ago they had another live hearing where they had a former White House aide, Cassidy Hutchinson, testify to the January 6th committee. I thought she was Secret Service, not... Um, from what I understand, she's an aide. Oh, well, And she was just testifying that on that day with her interactions with Secret Service and uh, then-President Trump is that he, Trump, had an heated exchange with uh, personal his personal Secret Service detail after he was demanding to be driven up to the Capitol after his uh, speech and the insurrection had begun uh, on the day of the insurrection. And they refused, obviously. They're saying, no, that is not a safe place for you to be, and he was throwing a huge fit about it. There have been a bunch of memes and people talking about how he was given like his dinner later on that night, and he threw it against the wall like a child because he was so upset with them not going through with his actions or his perceived action of what needs to happen. So they had first gotten the idea to subpoena the messages from her testimony. So then when they asked for them, they were like, oh, well, shit, they're gone, they're deleted. Um, A spokesperson for the Secret Service told NPR, the uh, organization where I got this information from, that the agency plans to swiftly respond to the panel subpoena, uh, though it was unclear what records will be uh, retrievable. The Secret Service insists that the January 6th probe uh, has had its full and unwavering cooperation. Uh, quote from a representative who made the statement to NPR that the January 6th Select Committee has had our full and unwavering cooperation since its inception in March of 2021, and that does not change. Um, their reasoning for um, not having this information uh, readily available is that they were going under a kind of routine cleaning of their, I don't know, message services that they use. Um, So they had their own, I don't know, specific date of time when things were going to get deleted and refreshed and put on a new system, whatever. Um, In a letter to Congress, another representative, uh, Joseph Kafari, a accused the Secret Service of erasing relevant text messages after his office requested such records and generally uh, causing confusion and delays in his office's investigation into the Secret Service. So some people think that they may have done it on purpose as a way of potentially negating any type of responsibility for anything, um, as well as who knows how many of them were more on the side of Trump than initially perceived. Um, according to another representative, Gugamani, uh, he repeatedly denied that the agency maliciously deleted text messages and disrupted claims that his agency had been uncooperative. Um, he says that it was part of a pre-planned three-month system migration. So reciting that it was supposed to be deleted anyway after a certain point. Um, if the Secret Service is not able to turn over the missing or deleted messages, Congress may need to launch an investigation into the Secret Service itself um, for record-keeping system uh, or call members of the Secret Service to testify, which is legal. I know I don't remember 
when they passed Congress passed a law saying that it was legal for Secret Service members to testify on the behalf. That was recently because we talked about it. Oh, did we? Oh, there's so much that we talk about. I don't remember that, but yeah, maybe one of the first times it's going to be enacted. Either that or I read it somewhere. I don't know. I just know it happened recently. Um, the only thing I really have to say on this is just get on with it. You know, let's let's wrap this trial up. I get it's important. I'm not saying it needs to be rushed, but it does need to like things need to happen a little bit quicker. Just Republicans are getting pissed. And I'm not saying we need to stop doing it because I'm scared of Republicans, but I have already seen that they've said already that once they get back the majority, they're going to launch an investigation into the January 6th committee. I'm like, Jesus Christ, you guys are just being fucking catty and trying to get back at somebody for something you don't like. A counter-investigation into the investigation? Yes, exactly. It's just another way of muddying the waters. It's just stupid. Decredible, what? I don't know what term I'm trying to think. I know of. what you're trying to say. Basically, make it seem that that committee is not credible. Yeah. Whatever that. Yeah. Adjective is. Um, discrediting. Yeah. Discrediting. There we go. Pretty easy word to come up with. Surprised my fucking brain couldn't think of it. It's okay. We're here for each other. Okay. <laughs> Um, in other news, more lighthearted stuff, I found two articles that I thought were kind of interesting. Um, so on Tuesday, the first images from the James Webb telescope, which is replacing the Hubble telescope, were released by NASA. The telescope was made by NASA, the European and Canadian space agencies, and cost around $10 billion. I won't go into all the details of like the article and how things were made, but if you do get a chance, look up some of the images. It's beautiful. Uh, it looks like art and imagination. It, it is truly magnificent. Honestly, looking at some of these and then like watching the Guardians of the Galaxies movie, you're just like, all right, so this isn't really outlandish. Oh, yeah. It's super cool. And what's really cool is this, the image that I have pulled up on our screen here is the first one that they had released. Yep. And I, I was wondering this too. And then I heard someone kind of give an explanation as to why if you're looking at some of these galaxies very off. One, they say that if you were to hold a grain of sand outward in your outstretched arm, that's how many galaxies and stars are in this one image that we're looking at. So it's a shit ton. It's like a very tiny pixel, and it has this much galaxies and stars and stuff showing up in it. But, like, some of these galaxies look smeared or almost, like, faded, stretched out. And they're saying it's because... One, we're looking back in time. This is kind of giving us a glimpse of the beginnings of the universe itself because it's close to 14 billion years old. The lights that we're starting to get um, that far out into space. That's just crazy for me to think about. I know. And the reason why it's this, the reason why they're kind of stretching or seam stretch is because if that is the creation of the universe, then there has to be something there that is pulling them apart stretching them. So we're starting to see the formation of our universe and galaxies. I just, that whole concept to me blows my mind. Like how can you see into the past? Yeah. And I saw and it's it. just because of how light travels. Yeah. Like it'll get you, it'll get there eventually, but just took almost 14 billion years. Yeah. It's nuts. The, uh, another thing is I saw some of these images that they've seen or that they put out that are, uh, super, 
saturated with like what you would think like fake colors like someone created on their computers and stuff one of them i have up now is very i don't know it looks fake almost and neil degrasse tyson made an explanation on some news um recently of how well we only see colors in three lights red uh green and green and blue. blue so if that's how we make up all of our colors with the cones and rods that are in our eyes, um, there are obviously different forms of light, UV light, that come in that we obviously cannot see, but these uh, telescopes can see. So what the telescope does is it takes those colors and images, and then it basically transforms them into a wave of color that we can see, and that's how you get some of these super outrageous of like, how the hell is that a real thing? It just looks like it's so fake because of the colors that are on it. Sorry, that's just how, if we were there in space, seeing it how it is like that, that's what we would see. So, uh, It's super cool. It's amazing stuff. So yeah, if you guys get a chance, please look at some of those. It is truly magnificent. Uh, another article that I found was about Lake Mead, which sits on the border of Arizona and Nevada, and it pulls water from the Colorado River, bumping, bumping, pumping around nearly 25 million people with water in Colorado and Nevada. This is the one. Is this the one that's Hoover Dam? I think Lake Mead is the one by by Hoover Dam, right? Yeah, and it's rapidly declining. Okay. It's um, re- declining so rapidly that it is starting to ser- uh, share some interesting secrets, and some of them being what you would expect, dead bodies. <laughs> um, but other secrets, however, are sunken boats in an old settlement called St. Thomas. As fascinating as these discoveries are, though, it is kind of scary to think about that the lake declining at such a rapid speed. Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously, I, that part of the country has been in droughts and severe droughts for the greater part of probably 20 years or so, or at least it seems like it is. Yeah, Lake Mead is actually the largest man-made lake. Yeah. At least in the United States. I think it's it's for sure in the United States. I don't know if it is in the world, but it's the largest man-made lake, and it's declining so quickly. Like, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, Yeah, so it would be the lake that would have the Hoover Dam there. and it's right by Las Vegas. So that might doesn't necessarily find it too surprising that there's dead bodies and stuff in it because Vegas Vegas mob lives out there. I'm sure they have a lot of sketchy dealings that people go missing all the time. So if you don't want to dump them within the city or out in the desert, you just drive them a little bit to a body of water and throw them in. I mean, that's an easy way of, one, getting rid of evidence because water washes away pretty much any evidence for... Um, if it's in there long enough, yeah. Yeah, for any type of investigation to gather any stuff from it. So, yeah, I'm not terribly surprised about that one. But sunken boats and ghost towns, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. That's what caught my attention. I'm like, hey, there's a boat in a lake. So that just makes me think that they probably, at one point, when they made the lake, they had the water at a certain level. And then people built around that lake, and then they just had to leave once they're like, oh, shit, well, the water's still coming up. Either that or there there was a settlement, and they're like, you guys have to get out because we're going to use this area. You know what? That probably seems a little bit more likely. I bet you there was some type of native group that was living there, and then when the government came, they are like, hey, get the fuck out. And <laughs> yeah, they just left their know. shit. I'm sure that's probably what happened. I don't know. I just found that one interesting. 
But moving on to local news, uh, Ragbri is bringing thousands of people to a small town in Iowa. And for any of those listeners who've never heard of Ragbri before, it's an acronym which stands for Registers Annual Great Bike Ride Across Iowa. Mm-hmm. And it's exactly that. It's a, it is a bicyclist, you know, heaven, I guess, uh, where you ride across the whole state of Iowa. Um, you don't have to do the whole thing. A lot of people don't. You have to register it for it, obviously. But yeah, you can do little small chunks or do the whole thing. I've known some people who've done the whole thing. Um, it's happening again this year. Uh, but this time it's stopping by a small town called Sergeant Bluff, which has a little bit more than 5,000 people in it. Um, it's expected to be hosting around 3,200 during Ragbri. Uh, The townspeople will be opening their homes, letting people stay in public areas like parks to house everybody, which is going back to the whole Iowa nice thing, Mm -hmm. letting strangers stay in your home. But, I mean, it'll bring a good amount of money to a small town, which always helps the local economy, especially with infrastructure in small towns. Uh, If you've never seen a small town or driven through one, it does take quite a bit for them to have to redo their roads and buildings. So, I mean, it's exciting for that small town, Super cool. The committee that runs this uh, does a really nice job of trying to pick uh, varying towns along their routes that they have. So traditionally for Ragbri, they have three major routes that they try to do that they rotate from. A southern, a middle, and then a northern route. And then there's obviously towns that are going to be within those routes that they try to go through. And they vary year to year. So if... Let's say one year they're doing the middle route. They're not going to do the same towns the next time they go through the middle route as they did last time. Except for obviously the bigger cities. Yeah, so Waterloo Cedar Falls tends to usually be in that because we're kind of in the middle-ish. That one would be north, wouldn't it? Cedar Rapids and Des Moines would be middle. Yeah, maybe maybe so then. Yeah, for the northern one part. How long have you lived here? Uh, My entire life. Okay. (laughs) But I do know that they came through uh, my town, Denver, one year. Um, I don't remember what year it was, but they came through. And, yeah, it's always a nice scene. Small towns love having that as a thing to kind of cater to. Um, And a lot of the bikers really enjoy the experience themselves going through. And we get out-of-state people to come all over the country to do this. I will say, though, living through Ragbri sucks oh yeah because there's nothing but bicyclists in the street and i want to fucking run them over i mean i remember one year in college they came to see came through cedar falls and up by the unidome they set up a concert stage one night for their stopover and all across cedar falls downtown up by the university there there's people on bikes everywhere and yeah. it got annoying if you were driving around town yeah so i mean it's still super cool but man, do I hate when it's going on. <laughs> and the I think from my understanding is the tradition is that you stick your back tire in the Missouri River, which is on the western side of Iowa. That's where you start. And then you dip your front tire in the Mississippi River once you get to the far eastern side. I'll just say okay, because I have no idea. I think that's what I've heard. All right. Uh, speaking of small town Iowa, um, there... <laughs> And I this, love the title to this. And this is where we fit into the heading of this week's episode is that there are apparently neo-Nazis in Olwine, which from Waterloo, Cedar Falls, it's about a 40-minute drive. Um, well, more, southwest. 
No, it's northeast, mm. but it's more east than north. If that makes off. yeah, if that makes sense. Um, so apparently, a neo-Nazi group uh, is accused of putting up posters in a public park in Olwine, uh, which has been getting a lot of attention from around the country and shaking up several of the town locals. Uh, Bernice Squires, a local from the neighboring town of Hazleton, states, it's really unfortunate to know that people have the, those kinds of feelings and persuasions. Uh, kind of surprising. Uh, police said that the posters, so there's more than one type of poster. They have, I think, a couple of big ones that they've been posting around town, um, the more common ones at least, uh, were discovered uh, last Saturday evening in Old Wine City Park. Uh, some in the community are hoping it's not a serious ideology within their neighborhood. The image on one of the posters has uh, a large swastika and then the 14 words that make up the white, suprem white supremacy slogan. Another poster promotes the false conspiracy theory that the Jewish community controls the media and the flow of information. Um, I also saw that they had a... Uh, Another poster that was um, basically spouting the replacement theory dogma that we're going to be replaced because of racial inbreeding and immigrants coming and moving into our towns and stuff like that. So more. Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. Getting better for having people from different communities interact. Such a horrible thing. Um, the American Civil Liberties Union said that it's... Uh, it's an exercise of free speech, but declined to make a formal comment on the matter. Um, local law enforcement said in a statement Wednesday their mission is to uh, safeguard freedom in protecting constitutional rights while maintaining order and encouraging respect for the rule of law. Um, they're treating this as a graffiti incident and released this statement asking your help uh, in the investigation. So this is the direct quote from the Olwine Police Department. The Olwine Police Department to this state has not received a report from any citizen on the graffiti issue at the Olwine City Park. Officers discovered what we consider to be graffiti at Olwine City Park on July 9th, 2022, at around 2049 hours. Um, the Olwine Police Department's mission is to safeguard freedom by preserving the life and liberty, protecting the constitutional rights of individuals, maintaining order, and encouraging respect for the rule of law by proper uh, enforcement of law it is also our mission to protect the public through proactive law enforcement and to promote a safe and secure environment for all we also strive to identify address and resolve the root causes of community problems and concerns in concert with citizen groups and representatives through the use of community or oriented policing strategies we also use those guiding principles in our day-to-day -day operations and we use are using those same principles as we investigate this case. Uh, as we do in all of our cases, we are taking the matter seriously and we are investigating it accordingly. We ask that anyone who might have knowledge of this crime or any other incident of similar nature to contact the Hawaiian Police Department. Sounds like crap. Yeah. I mean... It sounds like everything you're supposed to say. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's 100% covering their own asses. Yeah. Um... The fact that they're using it as a graffiti incident and not as um, a racially motivated, uh, it's not targeted in a sense of like. It is, I mean, it, they're right. It is free speech. I'm not saying it's not. They're not wrong there, but 
there's so many things I could say about it, but it's like we fought a war about this. They lost. How is this not over? This is obviously targeting specific people. Oh, yeah. Or at least a group of people, which is a hate crime. Don't remember if that's against the First Amendment or not, but... Yeah, uh, hate speech is not protected by the First Amendment. Okay. So... Swastika, as much as it's not words, is a symbol for hate. True. Granted, Um, people could say that the American flag is also the same thing, depending on which part of the country you're in. Symbols are protected uh, under free speech. Um, I have no idea if the swastika would be one of those or not. If it is, it, it shouldn't, but it, that's but it, also but not But you are right, it is, li- the law. it is linked to hate speech. So, yeah. should it be? Probably not, but... As much as we like to say Iowa nice, Iowa is still heavy. In the Midwest, heavily rural, yeah. and mainly white. Yeah, so there's... So. We all have problems, but I'm not saying it's an excuse, but... It's just ridiculous that the thing that blows my mind more than anything is that we fought a war about this and we know what Nazis do. They don't do good things. Yeah. Learn from this shit. Well, same thing with the Civil War and people in Iowa, especially even though the Iowa Iowa fought in the Union for the North during the Civil War of you seeing people driving around with Confederate flags uh, license plates, stickers, or the Confederate flag itself on their trucks. Which is really funny because probably some of those uh, people's ancestors fought for the North. Mine did. I did mine did too. Kills me. The so, irony is so bad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what side you think you're on or where you are at, but you are definitely in the wrong place for this. Yeah. So. All right. Well, let's pop out the surprise topics. Would you like to go first? Or would you like me to? Um, I'll have you go. I just read a lot. Okay. So for me, uh, I found something about a tech executive being charged for murder for the third time. It's not Elon Musk. It is not Elon Musk. Fuck. (laughs) So in the 1990s, John Kevin Woodward, who is the president and CEO of Ready Tech, which is an online training company, was tried twice for murder of his roommate's girlfriend, Lori Houts. The first trial ended in a hung jury, and the second was dropped by the judge due to lack of evidence. Now, about 25 years later, he's been arrested and charged once again with the murder, with prosecutors saying forensic evidence linked him with the murder weapon, which was a rope. On September 5th, 1992, a passerby found Lori in her car, dead with a rope around her neck, and there were signs of a struggle. Mr. Woodward was soon considered a suspect, and a statement said, Prosecutors said he was openly jealous of Lori because he had developed an unrequited romantic attachment to his roommate, who was Lori's boyfriend. With the boyfriend, uh, when the boyfriend was asked, or Jesus Christ, when the (laughs) boyfriend asked Mr. Woodward if he had killed Mrs. Houts, prosecutors said Mr. Woodward avoided answering the question and instead asked what investigators knew as police listened uh, in on their conversation. Mr. Woodward's fingerprints had been found outside of Mrs. Houts' car, but investigators in 1992 were not able to show that he had been inside the vehicle. In 2020, detectives again uh, began re-examining the case and new technology was used to process data samples collected from the rope. The test, uh, the testing determined that Mr. Woodward's skin cells were on the rope, according to the district attorney. 
Investigators also used new technology to determine the fibers from sweatpants inside Mr. Woodward's car and were, quote-unquote, virtually indistinguishable from fibers found on the rope. Together, the evidence put the rope in his hands, which is a quote from the district attorney. And then more than 80 latent fingerprints were collected at the time of Ms. Hout's death. They were all reexamined, which resulted in more fingerprints matching Mr. Woodward. Hmm. And if some of you out there are saying, well, you can't be tried for a case twice, you are correct. It's called but, double, double jeopardy. But it's only yeah. in case – it's only in um, – it only stands if it's been found innocent. Yes. So if you're found innocent, you can't be tried again. This was not found innocent. He was just um, – it was a mistrial and then – Thrown out. So there was no verdict. So he still could have been tried again, which happened two more times. Yeah. Fucking nuts. (laughs) Um, Me and my girlfriend for the last several days have been binging Law & Order SVU. Oh, it's a good show. Yeah, it's a really good show. I did not realize how much I would like it. You didn't watch it as a kid growing up? No. See, here's the thing. is I obviously knew about it the whole time growing up and into college and all that. And the fact that it's been going on for like 23, 24 years with really only two main cast members still on it of Mershka Hagate and Ice-T. Yep. Um, And they still have Christopher Maloney come on for some stuff, but he's in his own spinoff right now. Um, Yeah, no. This is a very interesting story. Yeah. Um, And some of the talk of like finding fibers and shit like that i'm also a fan of uh forensic files yeah that's a good one so i mean i found i started watching a bunch of that in college and just the, how the fact that they can get some of this shit from just anything blows my fucking mind which is why i think it's funny that people think nowadays they can get away with murder it's like yeah you probably can't yeah no not really no all right so my surprise topic i labeled it uh parental chaperones so, a Marcus Cedar Cinema in Cedar Rapids announced that... Uh, <laughs> oh, I saw that! I know yeah. what you're talking about. Yeah, so minors 18 and younger are now required to have a parent or legal guardian accompany them uh, entering movies. Uh, the theater said in a Facebook post, uh, quote, For the enjoyment of all of our guests, we have adopted a new youth escort policy beginning this evening at 6 p.m. Minors under 18 must be accompanied by an parent or a legal guardian the legal guardian must be 25 years of age or older um your initial thoughts on that um i think it's funny i don't really give a shit because i'm not 17 if i was 17 i'd be pissed uh but one of my friends because i saw that on facebook one of my friends commented on saying good i don't want any fucking kids have my movie which is really funny and i get it but i don't know why it was there i don't know if it was like because fights broke out or because they don't pick up after themselves or they cause a lot of trouble i don't really care because i'm not that age but i get it i can i can understand it but if i was 15 to 17 right now i would not be happy i mean i would be too um knowing that i went to movies with a group of friends uh in high school as being a minor that shit was fun we didn't cause any problems or anything well you're not a problem True, and the group of people that I hung out with weren't either. I was. But that's, I mean, that sentiment is exactly what parents were kind of happy about, um, but not 
fully understanding why. So parents who commented on the theater's post were still wanting answers as to what happened to make this uh, policy move uh, necessary. Um, Iowa's News Now, which is where I got this article from, called the theater and were referred to the corporate office, uh, but calls and emails have not been uh, returned yet. Uh, Many parents believe it is due to the behavior and disruptions that minors have been causing at the theater over the past several months, so much so that the CRPD has had to supply the theater with officers for extra duty assignments. So you are right. It's because minors... Uh, who are going to that theater are causing enough problems that police have to be there uh, to kind of survey the area and prevent any type of mischief from happening. So it makes sense. Um, But like you said, if I was a Cedar Rapids teenager um, going to a movie 14 even or older up to 18, I would be pissed off Yeah, because this is 18 and younger. So even if you're 18, you're like, nah, sorry, you still got to have either a parent or someone who's 25 or older to go with you. That's annoying. Yeah. Well, the last thing we're going to be touching on in news is just some social events. Uh, I found a new website to pull stuff from, so I'm excited for this. But I got five that I want to touch on. You got the San Diego Comic Con is happening from July 21st to 24th. Lollapalooza in Chicago. Most people know about that one. That's happening July 28th to the 31st. Then you have Charlevoix Venetian Festival in Charlevoix, Michigan from July 16th to 24th. So it's been going on. The Air and Water Show in Milwaukee, Wisconsin from July 23rd to 24th. And then the Midwest Fire Fest in Cambridge, Wisconsin from July 23rd to 24th. That Fire Fest actually looks really cool. Uh, it's like a bunch of pottery and um, like blacksmithing. But then they also have like fire dances and wood-burning fire pizza. So a lot of cool things going on. Oh, cool. In the Midwest. Cambridge, Wisconsin. Yep. Okay. Moving on to entertainment. I feel super confident I'm going to destroy you this week in you, bad movie plot guesses. You, the last time I said that, I got yes, fucked up. But I did. am feeling so confident on this one. Cody did express to me before we started recording that he is basically 110% certain that he's going to fuck me this week. So. Oh, I'm so happy right now. Okay. I don't know how many of these you've seen. I'm, I would sure hope you've seen two of these. I'm, I'm hoping for two. But Okay. All right. Ready? Yeah. Number one. A disgruntled former employee is begged to come back by the same people who fired him to reform a group of people no one believes in. Coach Carter. Ooh, that's good. But no, he was never a former employee. He was a former student, I guess, of the yes. school that he went to. Yeah. That is a really good, really good guess. Yeah. This one is called Lean On Me. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. Great movie. Yeah. That's with... Um, Morgan Freeman. Morgan Freeman. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. Second one. Kids are being babysat by someone who wouldn't pass a child protective services audit all because someone died. The reason he's babysitting, babysitting is because somebody died. Oh. Um, so he's babysitting kids all because the babysitter died. Not the babysitter, but their parents had to leave because somebody died. So this person's babysitting. Um, I can tell you I have seen this movie, mm-hmm. but I cannot think of the movie right now. You can go ahead and tell me. Uncle Buck. Yep. Yep. Great movie. Figure that one. Yeah. 
That's a really good one. See, that was one I was hoping you'd watch. R.I.P. John Candy. Yeah. Right. O for two. Starting strong. You know, I little side note here. I want to do what he did if like the oldest daughter in that movie going out and hanging out with a bad group of people. The hatchet. And then he comes up and he's just like, hey, talking to him and trying to convince her to come home. And she tells him to fuck off, basically. So he's like, I got something to show you. I'll be right back. And he just grabs his hatchet out of the car. Yeah. Shit's so funny. good. If you guys haven't seen that movie, you got it. It has a young Macaulay Culkin in it too. It's a great movie. Yeah, yeah. Pancakes, man. That'd be the best breakfast ever. <laughs> Massive pancakes. <laughs> All right. Number three. A rich guy shows off for a person he met the night before and some friends and then spends the rest of the movie regretting it. Rich man shows off. Hmm. And spends the rest of the movie regretting it. Yeah. This one's going to be hard. I apologize. Yeah. <laughs> I slightly apologize. Slightly apologize. Yeah. Oh my gosh. What's that one? Nothing but trouble with Chevy Chase and Demi Moore and Dan Aykroyd and John Candy, actually. Oh. Have I you ever know. seen it? I don't know if I've ever seen that one. We'll have to watch it together. Um, it's, I don't know if it's good or bad, but I've watched it a lot. Is it kind of like, Fletch-esque? Never seen Fletch. <laughs> you never seen Fletch? I've never seen Fletch. All right. Well, those are good Chevy Chase. Well, the first one. The second one. This one eight, I can but... tolerate Chevy Chase in. Let's okay. put it that way. All right. Number four. A guy befriends and then betrays a family to pay back a debt or else he will die. I think I've seen this one too. So a guy befriends a family... And what was the rest? And then betrays that family to pay back a debt or else he will die. Is it newer? Over the hedge. Oh, over the hedge? Oh. <laughs> Hardly a family. It's several families. They call themselves family. Okay, but there's a whole bunch of it's separate like, families. It's like the Fast and Furious definition of family. I guess. <laughs> I guess. Over four, bitch. Let's go. That one was a very loose. <laughs> I'm sorry. You can get me next week. All right. Last one. This was actually a really stupid movie, but I love it. Okay. Three movie stars set out to do what they portray in their movies without knowing it because they are too stupid to understand the message sent to them. Three amigos. Yes. Yeah. That one I got. All right. Good job, bud. Wow. <laughs> I went and I've seen uh, four of those five. Nothing but troubles. The one you haven't. Yeah, we'll watch it together. So, if I still have it at home. Damn, you see, oh, yeah, that Coach Carter one. I thought fit, that, that was yeah, that was a good look. No. All right, other things in entertainment. Netflix has decided to pull a documentary that was they were working on, and it was almost finished uh, about the chairman and CEO of the WWE, Vince McMahon. Mm-hmm. It was decided, they decided to do this because four women who had worked for the company had accused him of sexual misconduct, and they all had to sign non-disclosure agreements, and they were all paid hush money, with the total of hush money being at $12 million, broken down individually to $7.5 million to one, $3 million to another, and then two people each got a million dollars in hush money. I wonder why they wouldn't split it up. I don't know, depending on what... The accusation was, I don't know. The accusation or maybe the era that it occurred in. 
Yeah. Because if it occurred in the 80s, holy shit, a million dollars would be yeah. a lot. But if it, this one, like the latest one being in like 2016 right. or whatever, having seven or five million paid out to that one person, yeah. Who knows? Other things in entertainment. This one I was kind of hesitant to put in entertainment, but it's TikTok related. So some people are entertained by that. I am. Okay. Routinely. So a Texas man in a semi-popular TikToker posted a video of himself walking out of a job he had for seven years because they denied his request for time off. Mm -hmm. A lot of people responded in support of him for not allowing his work to walk all over him and take matters into his own hands. Someone responded with PTO stands for prepare the others because I ain't coming. (laughs) I thought that one was pretty funny. (laughs) Prepare the others. (laughs) I have walked out of a job personally, and I don't think people should do it, but sometimes it is just one of those things where you just can't stand something anymore and you got to do it. Companies and businesses will replace you as quick as they can, but I don't think it's always for what people believe it is because it's not that they don't care about you per se. A good chunk of the time probably it is, but it's also because it's a business and it has to run. So they do have to replace that void that you left. And it does depend on the business, obviously. If it's... Um, I don't know. I've worked for a diff- few different companies um, throughout college, and for everyone, I gave at least a two week notice of when I was going to be leaving, mm-hmm. so that they would have time to know and everything. Exactly. Um, the only one that I felt that I for sure needed to fulfill my two week <laughs> notice um, was when I worked at Elements Massage. Yeah, that's just because everyone that I worked there, I loved working with. Um, the management was pretty decent, um, and I knew that if I just did not fulfill my two-week requirement, that that would probably yeah. make me look bad to them. And, you know, before going into a professional career, it's nice to have those references of like, oh, yeah, no, this guy showed up all the time. He did what he was supposed to. He was great with people, which is what I do as a teacher. So it was not only yeah. necess- a necessity, but it's also like, no, I like the people. Why would I screw them over like that? Right. I mean, I have mixed feelings about this, mainly because I, it's being so glorified. I don't think you should glorify walking out of a job. But, I mean, again, sometimes the situation calls for it. And it can be kind of funny. I mean, if he's been there for seven years, and maybe this isn't the first instance that right. management has been kind of shitty towards him, and we don't know the circumstance of right. why he was getting PTO off or not. Or it's seven years that I've been here, and you're not going to give me overtime or, like, a PTO. PTO. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I get it, but... I don't know. Yeah, good stories. Unpopular opinions. I'm excited for this one. Yeah. How much do you got? Um, I don't have much. All so right, we'll I, let so you I, go first. So I can go first. Mine is um, my unpopular opinion that putting potato chips on a sandwich is a class act. It's like, good. Just any sandwich or a specific sandwich? See, for me, it's a specific sandwich. Okay, what's um, that? After uh, peanut butter and jelly. That. Oh, I don't know. That sounds weird. I probably won't ever try it just because... You haven't done it even as a kid? No. Oh, my gosh. Why so, would I mix those things? Peanut see, butter and jelly by themselves is great and should not be fucked with. It's Oh, uh, trust me, it's not being fucked if you add potato chips <laughs> to it. Um, I and, mean, the, the salty and sweet and stuff would be good. I get it. Yeah, but it's good. Mm. So that's what I'm saying is like having it with peanut butter and jelly, uh, the combination of sweet, salty, creamy is like a home run in my mind. Um Obviously, be careful with having chips in there that if you're not chewing it enough, you're going to swallow whole shards of chip. So make sure you're at least putting some thought into chewing. Um, 
it adds a whole new texture to it. So it's not just, you know, bread and then creamy peanut butter and then kind of sticky jelly. Um, I did a lot, a lot as a kid and it still holds up. Um, the thing with like with sandwiches in general is that I've done it with some other sandwiches and it's okay. It's not that bad. Um, when I brought this up to my girlfriend of like putting it on a sandwich, I said peanut butter and jelly and she was like, Oh really? I do it with like a turkey sandwich and it's really good. Yeah. I mean that one's I think a little bit more common, especially with our generation when you would go like swimming, you'd have your potato chips on your like turkey and mayo sandwich and whatever. And that was good, but I didn't do it very often let alone ever with a PB&J. Never thought about that. Oh, it's really good. I can vividly remember in like second grade having a lunch with PB&J and then having a little baggie of Lay's chips and then putting some of Lay's chips, separating the bread and putting it in there and then smooshing it a little bit. Oh, it's so good. People must have thought you are fucking insane. Um, I also used to take uh, chips and then eat applesauce with it. So you take the chip as like a scoop and you scoop okay. it into Okay, never open a it. restaurant. I'm not saying that, <laughs> but that's. I don't trust. I, I your also palate. did that. I also did that too, and it's actually uh, surprisingly good. Again, sweet and salty. The yeah. chip. I mean, I, I also don't like applesauce, so there's that. Oh, okay. Well, then you're biased. Yeah, I mean, yeah. All right, so let's see if you can convince me of mine or of yours, because uh, before we recorded, you said uh, what was the term that you used? Awesome. Awesome. Instead of the best. I mean, it is the best. So let's see if it's the best. Okay. For me, I think purple is the best color. What's your favorite? Like blue? Mine's blue. Okay. You generic piece of shit. I I prefer generic bitch, but yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So for me, purple is the best. Uh, Purple is often associated with royalty and wealth. Yep. Because the resources used to create the dye were hard to come by in ancient times. And so only the really wealthy could afford it. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, purple is also associated with wisdom, bravery, and spirituality being connected with the unknown, supernatural, and divine. Uh, different shades of purple have different spiritual meanings where light purples have a lighthearted and romantic energy while darker purple represents sadness and frustration. And some parts of Europe even associated with death and mourning. Uh, the purple heart is given to soldiers and, well, U.S. soldiers being injured in the field and the bravery associated with that. The color itself doesn't happen often in nature, so it is very rare. For me, I love the all shades of purple, really, but I really like darker purples because I feel like it represents me as a person. Uh, not only does the rarity of it being in nature be- ring true that I believe I'm a rare person to know, but dark purple has the somber and beautiful look to it that I feel when you do get to know me, I'm dark and beautiful in my own right. <laughs> <laughs> it can mesh with a lot of different colors for accents or that or be the main color, but most things... Uh, sorry, for most things, but most of the colors that make purple pop are darker colors, which also goes really well with me because I do tend to do have a darker palette that I go with. But as a color, as a color wheel color, purple is considered a cool color instead of a warm color, which tends to be more associated with sadness and melancholy or a calming feel, uh, even indifference. So again, for me, purple's the best because I think I'm the best, and purple really represents a lot of like how I view myself with melancholy, sad, depressive, but also like it has this dark, beautiful aspect to it that you just see a nice dark purple and like, damn, that's cool. Okay. Yeah, purple's the best because I'm the best and you love me, so deal with it. 
Um, with mine being blue, blue is associated with, like you said, calmness. You are very which calm. Which I am pretty person. calm. Yeah. Um, but then also loyalty. Aw. So I, I still think mine might trump. You don't. <laughs> no. I'm rare, bitch. Rare. Oh, in nature, you're right. Well, look at if you look at the earth, how much is blue? That's not rare. Well, it's only blue because of the light reflecting off. Yeah, but guess what? It's still blue. 70% of the world you see is blue. That's not rare. Try to find purple it's in it. It's one of the frame of uh, light waves that we can exactly. see. Exactly. Yeah, so that's why it's necessity in order to have purple. Just because it's necessary doesn't mean it's the best. Well, it's one of the base foundation colors for all other colors. Yeah. So without getting two of the base to have without purple, Without blue, I wouldn't have purple, which is great. I'm not saying that blue isn't needed. I'm just saying it's not the best because it's one of the reasons why it's not rare. Again, generic bitch. Do you think rarity means best? I think it, it does add value. Okay. I mean, that's just how rarity works is that it's more valuable because it's harder to obtain. Ah. Okay. Boom. Logic. You know how rare that is for me to hit logic that quickly on the fly? Most of the times I have to think about shit like that. I'm really proud of myself. I mean, redheads are pretty rare, but I wouldn't say they're necessity. I don't think they're necessity either, but, you know. they're rare. I've met a lot of really cool redheads. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I don't know how we got there, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, this day in history, starting with the most recent and going back the furthest in time. So in 2013, in Detroit, Michigan, uh, files for bankruptcy, the entire town becoming the largest U.S. municipal bankruptcy ever at $18.5 billion. How does a town file for bankruptcy? Uh, the city runs out of money. That's what I would assume. They keep spending to try to fix up the city, but none of people are actually contributing, paying taxes or whatever. Mm. I don't know. That makes sense. Um, just the year before that, in 2012, uh, Kim Jong-un is officially appointed uh, Supreme Leader of North Korea and given the rank of Marshal in the Korean People's Army. Will he ever do anything with that? Uh in his mind, he's done plenty with it. He's trying to further their nuclear arsenal. Okay. Um, however, I think he's done what his father has done, which is basically nothing. Continue to um, get a lot of money from smuggling drugs and then using that on yourself for partying and shit like that. Yeah, sounds all right. Um, these last two are going to be kind of fairly similar in a way, only because they're both fascists. Yay. Yeah. So Nazis. <laughs> not necessarily Nazis, just fascists. Um in 1936, Spanish the Spanish Civil War began where General Francisco Franco issues a manifesto and leads an uprising in the Spanish army stationed in Morocco. Um and then this other one, what's another famous fascist? Uh 1925, Adolf Hitler publishes Mein Kampf. Um the original title was The Catchy uh, four and a half years of struggle against lies, stupidity, and cowardness. That was the original title. He shortened it down to Mein Kampf, which is just my struggle. Which he wrote in prison. Yeah, he wrote a majority of it in prison. Because, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I could go on about it, but 
basically for the fact that he was denied from art school so many times because he thought he had the talent. The Jews must be behind this. We lost World War One. The German people need a strong leader, that kind of right. bullshit. Yeah. The reason why he got thrown in prison, though, is during his initial rise to power, he and a smaller group of Nazis, because they wasn't popular yet, um, led a revolution uprising and got thwarted, and he was one of the main talking heads on it oh yeah he was one of the organizers for the march to berlin which was supposed to be overthrowing the, right. the weimar republic so he yeah. got thrown in prison wrote mein Kampf, became this really powerful guy and then mm-hmm. the rest is history yeah so. did you know that there was a point where when his protest or insurrection i guess too at that point um was marching through the streets and approached the german guards and they opened fire on him and his group of people that yep. he was um, within mere feet of being shot in the head, but some other guy that was a part of his group took the bullet on accident. Yep. Yeah. Man. If only. If only. All right, and then for famous birthdays today, we have Vin Diesel, the actor, speaking of Fast and Furious earlier. And um, Guardians of the Galaxy. And Guardians of the Galaxy, you're right. I am Groot. God, he had such an easy way of making millions of dollars on that. Also doing it in, like, different languages. Have you seen him do videos no. of, of recording lines in, like, different languages? No. Oh, that's funny. It's the same line. It's, it's literally the same line. But in different languages. So saying it, I am Groot in uh, Mandarin, obviously, is not the same as saying right, it in English. Right, but again, it's, you're still having to learn a lot less lines than everybody. Oh, hell yeah. But it's funny that he's making <laughs> millions just on saying that. Um, Kirsten Bell, the actress... Um, as well, I don't know if you're familiar with her. Yeah, I I don't know. She's in a lot of things. She was in a lot of things. They've had her and Dax Shepard have had kids, so she's not as much in doing movies. But she was in The Good Place. That was a good show. Yeah, she was also in both of the Frozen's and a million other things before that. True. Um, M.I.A. the singer or uh, songwriter rapper, her birthday as well. Richard Bronson. The billionaire uh, who has Virgin Airlines and a bunch of other things co-opted as Virgin for whatever reason. Ah, got it. That guy. Um, And then Joe Russo, director and producer for basically the Marvel Cinematic Universe. After Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Not Falcon. After Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Yeah. That was his first one. So. With his brother. Mm Mm-hmm. So those are the birthdays today. And with that... um, Thank you for listening for this week. Uh, please spread the word and encourage others to listen. Um, we haven't mentioned this much before of actually like spreading and telling others about listening yeah. to the podcast, but that'd be really appreciated if you did. Yeah. If you guys know people who would be interested in a little bit of everything, I know my brother skips the sports topic every week, which is fine. I mean, if you find other opinions that we have interesting or valuable and you think other people would too, please, please Tell them about it and give us a shout. Uh, as well as following us on Twitter at DetentionPod1, uh, or you can send us an email at DetentionPodcast1 at gmail.com so you can let us know how we're doing, uh, give us any criticisms, feedback, or any topics that you want us to talk about. Um, you can also listen to the Detention Podcast on Anchor, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. One thing that we do want to preview is 
it was kind of a late throw in, so we will talk about it next week. It is sports related, but I ran across a picture about um, who could beat this starting five. So Eric and I uh, are making our teams to beat this starting five. I'm not going to tell you who it is yet because I want to save the suspense, but we'll bring that out next week. And like Eric said, he'll talk about the Big Ten win percentage that he found fascinating. All right. And with that, uh, your detention has been served. We will see you again next week.